and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. In this episode, we're looking at the alien abduction case of Bill Herman. That's correct, the alien abduction case of Bill Herman. I have to warn you, this does reach levels of high strangeness. The first article comes to us here from guysweirdlife.info, written on April 15, 2022. title says, The Strange Saga of Alleged UFO Contactee Bill Herman, and that's spelled H-E-R-R-M-A-N. It says, March 18, 1978, etc., Somerville, South Carolina, USA, Bill Herman. William Herman, a.k.a. Bill Herman, or Herman, or Herman, has different spellings there, was a diesel mechanic, born-again Christian, church custodian, living in a mobile home in North Charleston, South Carolina, USA, who claimed contact with aliens. So there you have the contactee's name, Bill Herman. You have the date. March 18, 1978, circa. And you have a little bit of a bio about this guy. And most importantly, where it happened at. Charleston, South Carolina. Now, North Charleston, South Carolina, actually. A lot of these articles, they don't even bother to put the state in. Because they're written locally, and I guess they just assume that their audience is local. And nobody and, and everybody knows where they're at. Anyway, it says... Uh, Though at the time he reached some fame in the press, magazines, and even Japanese TV, and managed to get the attention of UFOologists because of his claims, he was soon forgotten like many so-called contactees. In 1977, age 26, he claimed he saw a glowing disc on several occasions and once managed to capture it on nine photographs. He claimed he wasn't alarmed, first thinking it was some sort of military aircraft flying out of nearby Charleston Air Force Base. As you'll see here, this sighting actually happened pretty close to uh, Charleston Air Force Base. And he actually got pictures of this thing. He says, he explained to a newspaper later, I had never been interested in science fiction. I thought that was all hogwash, garbage. But I've had two contact experiences and 15 sightings of UFOs, and I've also investigated 40 sightings statewide. The first encounter was remembered, the first encounter wasn't rather remembered until months after it happened, March 18, 1978, he says. At about 9.25 p.m., he had gone out of his home to a field to get a better look at a UFO in a marshy area. Flying, flying low over his home, he watched it through binoculars and walked toward it for a closer look. The next thing he remembered was finding himself in a strange area with the UFO whirring away above him and Somerville, 15 or 20 miles, depending on the versions, away from his home. One report says he found himself standing in a plowed field about midnight, surrounded by a light glow, and ran hysterically toward a distant road where he could see cars. There, he was picked up by a policeman who phoned his family. So in other words, he sees this UFO, he, he goes out to have a closer look, and the next thing he remembers, he's dropped off about 15, 20 miles away. Strange. Another report says he was terrified, flagged down a car, and found that he was in a wooded clearing near Bacon's Bridge Road near Somerville several hours later than he thought it should be. Later, he recalled under hypnosis what happened during the several hours he could not account for. He watched the UFO from some railroad tracks when it suddenly zoomed toward him and projected a blinding beam of aquamarine light at him. The UFO dropped, and I was scared. A green light came up around me. I was disoriented. At my feet, there was an orange circle of light. I tried to run, but my legs wouldn't move. I was, like, paralyzed. I wouldn't yell. I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Later, he says, he was on his low examination. He was on this low examination table, only two feet above the floor, inside the UFO, with three strange-looking 
beings watch over him using a blinking x-ray-like device. They told him there are three races of intelligent beings from outer space that visit Earth and, con and conduct experiments and observe life here. He said he, distinctive, he distinctly remembered the craft was a molded metal, two-deck contraption, about 70 feet in diameter and 25 feet high. The occupants were about four and a half feet tall, with marshmallow-colored skin, hairless, and without eye pupils. Their skin was the color of a marshmallow. Their eyes were long and dark with a brown iris. Their heads looked like overgrown human fetuses with no ears or hair, he told later. Almost sounds like he's describing one of the grays that we hear about so often. They spoke English with no accent and told him not to be afraid, but he was. The UFO crew callously referred to him as a subject and said that he, along with certain other earthlings, had been chosen for their experiments. They anticipated his questions and they spoke without moving their lips. So we're talking about telepathic communication here. As far as being chosen, I think he may have just been unlucky enough to have uh, come outside and, and looked up at this thing for a little too long. He claimed he had no memory of his UFO abduction for a year, but on April 21, 1979, a mysterious metal bar shaped like an ignit and bearing the letters M-A-N, all capital letters, and some mysterious symbols suddenly materialized in a globe of blue-green light in his bedroom. So the same which is beamed down to him, he says. One source said after the first close encounter, he suffered insomnia and general nervousness and unrest and was submitted to hypnosis under the guidance of James A. Harder of APRO, it's A-P-R-O, all caps, some days later. In this version, we learn that one of the three beings spoke to him with his... One of the three beings spoke to him while his mouth did not appear to move, that he was given a brief tour of the spacecraft and then lost consciousness. He had learned that the beings were from Zeta Reticuli and had been observing Earth for half a century, being concerned about humanity's tendencies toward war and warning that our violent natures would destroy human civilization. Hard to imagine that these things would be that empathetic to me, actually, in light of the many uh, really horrendous abductions and also all of the cattle mutilations. Anyway, it says, in the weeks following the hypnosis session, Herman claimed other UFO sightings and told he had a compulsion to write from right to left pages of a script in an unknown language, channeling messages from the people who had abducted him. Herman said he had just finished writing about three pages of such messages on April 21, 1979, when he felt his home shake saw his lights flicker and go out and saw a globe of blue-green light begin to grow on his desk. I was so frightened I couldn't look at it. When the glow subsided, I saw the bar lying on the edge of the desk. I thought it would be hot, but it felt cold. Now he's describing automatic writing there, and this is something associated with the cult for many, many years. and was quite popular, I think, back in the mid to late 1800s. Definitely... Uh, something we don't typically think of with UFOs, but something we do think of when we think of the occult or cultic-type activity. It says, Herman claimed a second encounter on May 16, 1979, after that bar appeared in his home. He voluntarily climbed aboard the UFO after feeling an urge to go to a spot where the UFO met him, he said. This is another case that seems like mind control to me. I mean, why would you ever want to get back on that thing? But people, people report doing this over and over again. He says, it was a three-and-a-half-hour trip down to Florida and back. We flew above an orange grove and over the Kennedy Space Center. 
I remember looking down through some kind of monitor at the faces of people looking up at us. The aliens told him that they were from Zeta Reticuli, a solar system 32 light years from here, Herman said. They said I'll see them again, but I haven't. Not that I'm looking for them. December 1982 was my last sighting, but I won't be afraid next time. Wow. Now, you can watch that. There's several videos online of him talking about his experience, and I have to say they're compelling. Omni Magazine had a sample of the bars scraped from the scraped off and analyzed at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, which found the bar was made of ordinary elements, cast alloy of lead, 6% antimony, approximating the composition of lead pipes or grid from an auto battery. Herman said the aliens told him the bar is a substance of worthless, as a substance worthless to humans, of great value to the extraterrestrials. That's interesting. A major player in the case was retired Air Force Colonel Wendell C. Stevens of Tucson, then investigator for Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, or APRO. Stevens, like who he often did with the contactees who were proven liars, supported Herman's story entirely. Well, that's interesting. That seems like a kind of a kind of a pretty solid negative opinion of this guy. He said he spent 11 days investigating Herman's first encounter story and that it really happened because he had a lot of data to support it. Stevens said he collected testimonies from a number of Charleston area residents who told that they saw a similar UFO, including sightings on the same night as Herman's reported his encounters. He also said Herman's color photos, which include a shot of a purported UFO trailing an Air Force jet near Charleston Air Force Base, are genuine. He apparently sent Herman's UFO photos to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena for enhancement and computer evaluation, but I found no report of the findings. Now, you can see these pictures online, and I did post one on my Buy Me a Coffee, Buy Me a Coffee account. You can go over there and take a look at it. That link's uh, on the Anchor website. It says, it seems Stevens also had APRO test the metal bar, though I did not find what was concluded. But Stevens said the markings on the bar molded in the metal include a map of the star group, Reticulum, from which Herman says the aliens told him they came. Stevens argued that as the star group is visible only from the southern hemisphere and the star map puts the star in a configuration never seen from Earth, Herman could not have made it up. Only one star chart shows such a projection and the chart is in Hungary and printed in Hungarian. Most people have never heard of the chart, and there's no way Herman could have ever seen it. The chart is only known to highly advanced astronomers. He explained that the bar is, from, is a form of recognition given only to a few Earth people for having overcome the trauma of maintaining communication with aliens. Herman similarly claimed he was told by the aliens on his second encounter with them that the bar was a gift for me, signifying they were thankful for and appreciative of the way I handled the situation after the first abduction. Nice to know that your kidnappers are grateful. Stevens also investigated Herman's automatic writings and said an IBM design engineer examined some of the script and told it could represent a formula for accelerating matter to a dematerialized state. It was reported that he underwent psychological stress evaluation polygraph tests that convinced investigators that he believes he was actually aboard a UFO, but the tests, however, are incapable of determining whether the encounter actually took place. Apparently, the test was given by one Charles M. McQuiston of West Palm Beach after Herman reported his first encounter to the aliens. Then it goes on and says that they had a major film deal in the works, apparently. Uh, a Dr. Bernard Stein Stern, a New York physician, teacher of hypnosis therapy at Columbia University and UFO witness, questioned Herman under hypnosis and was also convinced Herman believes his own story to be real. 
then talks a little bit about some of the stuff that he did afterwards. He had some interviews and this and that. It seems that on November 10th, this is 1981, Herman was fired from his position of church of children's church teacher because they believed he was involved in satanic things when he spoke about UFOs on TV. Four days later, he allegedly received a telepathic transmission from his alien friends, a sketch if a power unit which contained a pair of eyes. The same day, apparently, he wrote an essay titled Inevitable Destruction, in which he warned that the entire Earth would soon be engulfed in, etern in an eternal firestorm because of geopolitical events. Of course, this would have been 40 years ago. We're still here, obviously. After his last UFO sighting in 1982, Herman was occasionally interviewed in local newspapers. He told, I've gone through all kinds of medical batteries, and I don't have any radiation or side effects and no implants. He told that his life had changed. He regretted the harassment he was subjected to and insisted that he had not looked for any publicity. This is like many cases that first appear as class CE3 to ufologists, but then developed into repetitive encounters with messages from benevolent aliens. The Herman case was soon forgotten as one more contactee tall tale. It was, however, still mentioned in several catalogs, OD close encounters of the third kind with no word of caution or doubt. And then he says, the last echo I could trace was a remark on the above top secret ufology forum in which an anonymous participant gave news of Bill Herman. It says, Bill now denies everything and shocks the whole experience up to demonic possession. Well, of course, that's an anonymous source, and I haven't found anywhere else where Bill said that. This is a fascinating case. Uh, you could imagine how having this sort of abduction case might really cause a person to spin into some sort of a, a psychotic event or some sort of a, almost like a nervous breakdown, I guess you could say. Uh, Bill did go into some of these uh, regressive hypnosis-type memory things. We don't know uh, if those are true or not because we don't have any physical evidence. I find the bar that was left to him to be uh, interesting, especially the fact that it has this uh, star chart on it that supposedly he had no way of knowing about. Overall, the case, I think, it, it, it's fascinating, if nothing else, even though the case by now is over 40 years old. Now, I want to take a, take a look at another article on this. Now, I want to take a look at this next news article from latestufosightings.net. Latestufosightings.net. title says, Incredible Bill Herman UFO and Alien Abduction Case. It's got some uh, sketchings here, apparently, that Bill did, uh, along with an a, uh, illustration of what the aliens looked like to him. It's also got some uh, pictures here of the UFOs that he photographed uh, reportedly. And this is from 1980. It says Charleston, South Carolina. I, they look like pretty good pictures. Uh, whether they're real or not, I guess you can be the judge. I can't tell. It's, this is 1980. You know, it had been a lot harder to Photoshop things back then. You didn't have modern computers and all that. The article starts off. It says, William J. Herman's experience with the UFO and alleged alien, alien abduction in 1978 is a remarkable story that still generates interest among people interested in the UFO phenomenon. Herman's story is unique in that he claimed to have taken photographs of the UFO, which were eventually authenticated by photo experts. Furthermore, his story of being taken aboard the UFO and examined by the humanoid beings during a hypnosis session is intriguing. Herman's experiences began in November of 1977, when he claimed to have had a series of sightings of the UFO over Charleston, South Carolina. It's almost like these things were stalking him. On January 22, 1978, he was finally able to take nine photographs of the object. Two months later, he claimed to have had a close encounter with the same UFO, according to Herman. 
The disk he had sighted earlier reappeared and came toward him. It sent out a light beam that paralyzed him and causing him to lose consciousness. He awoke three hours later, 15 miles away, and watched the UFO depart. Pretty clearly, according to him, he was abducted. It says, after reporting the incident to the police, Herman began suffering from insomnia and general nervousness and unrest. He eventually submitted to hypnosis under the guidance of a James A. Harder, a prominent UFO researcher associated with the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. During the hypnosis, he recalled being aboard the UFO and examined by three humanoid creatures with large hairless heads, oversized eyes, pale skin, and red clothing. That's interesting, red clothing. One of the three spoke to him, but his mouth did not appear to move. He was given a brief tour of the spaceship and then lost consciousness. He claimed the beings were, were from Zeta Reticuli and had been observing Earth for a half a century. They were concerned about humanity's tendencies toward war and warned that our violent nature would destroy human civilization. Now this is one of these common themes that we hear coming through these UFO stories. Now this site has a about a 30-minute video here. I think it's supposed to be recording one of one of, of the uh, hypnosis sessions he underwent. It says in the weeks following the hypnosis session, Herman claimed to have other sightings and began channeling messages from people who had abducted him. He also produced a metal bar that he claimed came from the aliens, which was eventually shown to be made of lead and antimony, similar in content to the material in an automobile battery. In May 1979, Herman claimed to have had a final contact with the saucer beings who took him for a ride. And it's got another interview with him. Uh, I've got the link to this, I believe, at the website. I'll try to put one up there if I haven't for the uh, Buy Me a Coffee site. You can take a look at some of these some of these videos. They're pretty neat. As Herman's story became more widely known, he co-authored a more complete account of his story with Wendell Stevens, a publisher of UFO contactee material. And then it's got a link there to the book. It says the volume circulated in the contactee subculture, but was generally dismissed by ufologists as seeking as lacking any collaboration. Well, unfortunately, he was by himself when this happened. Overall, William Herman's experience is a fascinating example of an alleged UFO encounter and alien abduction that was captured, that has captured the imagination of people interested in a UFO phenomenon for decades. While skeptics may dismiss his story, it is clear that Herman truly believed in what he experienced, and it remains an intriguing part of UFO lore. I would agree. Okay, I'm going to take a look at one more article here before we close this out. Now, this last article comes to us from charlestoncitypaper.com. charlestoncitypaper.com, written by Dustin Waters. Date on it's March 23, 2016. Title says, Shining a Light on UFO Sightings. It begins by saying, On March 18, 1978, at approximately 1.15 a.m., Deputy Pike Limehouse with the Dorchester Sheriff's Office was called out to a remote was called out to a remote area near Somerville to investigate something that could not be explained. Speaking to a film crew later that year, the officer said that once he arrived on scene, he was approached by a North Charleston resident by the name of Bill Herman, who told the deputy he would he would not believe what had happened. Limehouse said he had never seen a, seen a man that excited before as the two stood together in an open field under a half full moon. The officer expected the worst, but what he got was the unbelievable. Herman, a fresh-faced diesel mechanic, reported that he had been standing in his yard in North Charleston before finding himself in a field 15 miles away. So, here we have a report of this abduction happening, 
and it's in real time, so that to me lends a lot more credibility to it. It says Herman's employer and longtime friend described him as a good member of his church, his family, and the community. Herman later to told reporters that he had never believed in UFOs before that strange night in 1978, when he found himself mysteriously transported from outside his home. When it occurred, he was unsure what had even happened, but the gaps in his memory would fill in over the following years. In 1981, Herman shared the story of his abduction with an AP reporter, describing the night that he watched a metal disc 60 feet in diameter drop down in front of him. Falling backwards, he told the reporter he was engulfed in a blue light and pulled toward the ship. Herman said he then found himself alone and afraid in an empty field. He couldn't recall what had happened. He didn't know what he what he had been. He didn't know that where he had been taken. He told the reporter he felt dirty. He felt like he had been around something he shouldn't have been around. Faced with something he couldn't explain, he wept. Well, clearly, he was traumatized by this situation. Herman would go on to recount otherworldly encounters that took place after this initial abduction. He was interviewed by film crews and researchers of the supernatural, but living with these experiences and sharing these stories would take a toll on his personal life in the years surrounding his alleged UFO encounters. He says, My wife put up with more than anyone would put up with, he said in a 1981 article published in Greenwood's Index Journal. It's hard, to, it's hard to live with someone whose idea of a good night is to go out and sit in the car with a pair of binoculars and wait for something to arrive. But how do you move past such a life-changing experience? UFO sightings continue to pour in from all across the low country, and many of the people involved just want one thing, an explanation. They just want to know that they're not the only ones who have seen bright lights dance across the night sky, and when they go looking for answers, many South Carolinians end up talking with Cheryl Gilmore, state director of the Mutual UFO Network, or MUFON. Officially formed in 1969, MUFON investigates and collects data on reported UFO sightings across the world. Ironically, it was that same year that United States Air Force terminated Project Blue Book, a government program that studied UFOs over 22 years. The Air Force investigated 12,618 total sightings. That's a lot. More than 700 of which were never identified. As a state director of North Carolina, Gilmore documents each reported encounter and either assigns the cases to a trained local field agent or investigates them herself. For Gilmore and the other members of MUFON, it's important to take a scientific approach to each sighting and to gather all the important facts. Of MUFON's approximately 3,500 members, about 37 are located in South Carolina. Gilmore says her interest in UFOs started in 1959 in her hometown of Fresno, Ohio. Playing in a pasture one day with her cousin, she felt compelled to look up, and what she saw next changed her life. She says, here is this beautiful blue sky. Here in this beautiful blue sky was a shiny silver disc. It was just hovering up there, and it looked like chrome on a car. That was back when there was chrome on cars, she says. It was silent, just hovering there. I didn't feel fear of any kind. We ran back to the house and told my aunt and my grandmother. They came out, and my aunt said, that's one of those flying saucers. That's what we called them back then. Struck by curiosity, Gilmore went to school the next day and shared the story with her science teacher and classmates. They laughed. She was labeled the flying saucer kid until she graduated high school. Fortunately, Gilmore didn't let the ridicule dim her sense of wonder and her desire for the truth. Yes, thankfully, she did not allow them to deperson her. She said, people are more understanding nowadays. There is some stigma related to it, but not nearly as much. Most of the recent sightings reports in the Charleston area involve bright orbs moving across the sky. Last July, an orange ball of light was spotted over Mount Pleasant, 
moving northwest, the orb changed shape before disappearing. Two weeks later, a Charleston resident was leaving work when he witnessed a series of lights drift slowly across the sky and what he described as a perfect, precise movement. Shifting formation, the lights formed a triangle and eventually faded. Gilmore recommends anyone who sees a UFO to try to take a photo or video with their smartphone, but she says many witnesses are too awestruck to properly document their sightings. That's correct. It goes on, it says, after years of studying sightings, Gilmore remains reluctant to say she believes in UFOs as most people understand them, but she believes that there is something that has been interacting with this planet for thousands of years. It would it could be a force from outer space, another dimension, or time travelers. She doesn't have a definitive answer, but Gilmore knows there's something out there. And for those unwilling to entertain such possibilities, remember Hamlet's words to a skeptical friend, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. That's pretty interesting. Well, I thought that was a pretty decent look at what happened to Mr. Herman back there in 1978. Overall, fascinating case. Uh, if anybody has any information on uh, an update with this fellow, you can leave a comment over at Buy Me a Coffee. Uh, it, would be, it would be fascinating to know what he's doing now. If he's still alive, he'd be in his 70s, I suppose. And how he looks back on this account that he had and the subsequent communications he had with what he found these to be alien entities at the time. Until next time, this is UFO Warning, over now.